Welcome to Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. This podcast is about provocative conversations with beautiful thinkers about topics that matter and the stories that have helped them reframe their lives. Grab something cozy or put on your walking shoes and let's reframe. If you know me, then you know that one of my favorite things to talk about is the table. I've always said that intimacy happens around a table. That's why I personally love communion and the story of the Last Supper, because I think those are examples of how Jesus tried to meet us with intimacy. But think about it. We play cards and games at a table. We plan at a table. We fight at a table. We process and problem solve at a table. And we create at a table. The table is a place we come to discover, be nourished, and face truths. Joy Harjo, a wonderful poet, wrote a poem called Perhaps the World Ends Here, which is all about the kitchen table. It is one of my favorite poems. Katie Kuntz Weiland, I believe, knows the significance of a table as well, as she is the founder of The Belonging Table. The Belonging Table is spiritual care by and for queers, mystics, and misfits, and is found online through Instagram. Katie is a queer post-denominational minister who holds a BA in biblical studies, a master of divinity, and professional certifications in meditation and adult sexuality education. Through At the Belonging Table, Katie offers one-on-one spiritual midwife sessions, consulting and facilitation for communities and organizations, pop-up group gatherings, and queer and interfaith weddings in Ohio. As a survivor of anti-queer religious trauma, one of Katie's greatest passions is supporting others on their spiritual journeys of healing, liberation, and wholeness beyond institutional boxes. Katie, it is so wonderful to have you here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) So as you could tell in the intro, I obviously love ministry that happens around the table. And so I'm curious for you, how was the belonging table born? I would say the belonging table was born in a perfect storm. Mm -hmm. Um, It was the perfect storm in my own life and the perfect storm in the world of the beginning of the COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, Around the time leading up to the pandemic, I had um, found myself in a position where I had to leave the church that I grew up in. Um, As a queer person, that denomination had made a decision kind of once and for all against people like me. Mm -hmm. And um, that combined with some other personal circumstances I was facing in that church led me to step out of that tradition that I had loved, that I had felt called to ministry in. Um, And it was a time of immense grief, but also immense possibility for me as I Um, First, looked for other places that might be homes, um, other institutional boxes, as I like to say, (laughs) um, that I might be able to fit myself into. Um, And and then I found that I didn't fit so easily into those other boxes that, you know, people might suggest, right? Mm -hmm. Anytime people leave a church, others um, very helpfully and lovingly try to say, well, maybe you could be this instead. Maybe you could find a home here. Um, And I found like so many others, that none of those boxes really fit me. So Mm -hmm. I started asking the question, um, along with my spiritual director, 
what might it look like for me to live God's dream in my life, um, to live my call to ministry, and to do that in a way that is not merely trying to fit into another box or um, wait for another church to give me the permission to be who I am and offer my ministry to the world. Um, And so all of that discernment was happening in about the six months leading up to the beginning of the pandemic, actually. Mm. And then when the pandemic hit, I saw such a moment of opportunity in terms of ministry because the churches that were um, those brick and mortar churches were suddenly struggling so mightily to connect with people, um, to be together and I think, to, to nourish their flock uh, in those first months. And so as I saw churches um, cease the practice of communion, that was really one of those light bulb moments for me where I said, um, God's people need nourishment right now. Mm-hmm. Um, how can this happen? And, and how can I trust God's call that I'm someone who is worthy of offering this gift? Um, and that was really how Belonging Table was born, um, was just those two perfect storms coming together. And, uh, you know, I think me being willing to be a vessel in that mm-hmm. moment, mm-hmm. Um, but also other people who who were queer, who were hurt by the church, who were maybe part of the church, but just hungering for something that wasn't being offered everywhere in that time, um, being willing to come together with me and kind of do something new. I think that's great. I feel like some of the things you even spoke to spoke to my life in terms of, of understanding calls, right? Like my call when, I mean, I went through seminary and I wanted to work within the church to provide sex education and to do these things, but the church didn't know what to do with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were like, what does this mean? You want to do sex education, you know, things like this. And also I felt like God was giving me this call, that this was an important call for me, but to do it, then I didn't need the church to affirm my call. Right. And so then I took my ministry outside of the church too. And now I'm actually grateful for it because I feel like I've been able to do more with it and reach the people who actually really need it. And who also had been, I think too wounded by the church, but still want to find the conversation around interacting with God and their sexuality in a way that they don't feel like judged for that. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what then you talked a lot about, you know, with a communion and giving them that space. So what does that look like? What did that look like? Yeah, so it looked different um, in the beginning of the belonging table in Mm -hmm. the the thick of the pandemic than it looks now. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I founded belonging table, I started out by having two Zoom gatherings per month. Um, One was expansive Christian communion. It was queer led, queer affirming um, and explicitly consent based. So I would actually have a conversation about that at the beginning of um, the ritual space, Mm -hmm. um, just making sure that folks knew that there was no expectation that they would say any words, that they would partake of the elements that, you know, they would do or be or think or say anything Mm -hmm. um, that they were simply welcome as they are in the space. And um, that was something that was very important to me as I was um, actually leaving the Christian church in my own journey, because I had found myself um, for a good while unwilling to take 
communion mm-hmm. um, for a lot of deep reasons that I don't have to go into here. But I was still um, in the circle, so to speak. And as I was in the, the circle of communion, it was often really awkward not to partake. Um, I had some people who would come up to me and ask me, why didn't you take communion? Did I say something that offended you? Right? Like all of these mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what, people, there are other people like me, yeah. and they need this kind of a space to be present and, and process what this sacrament, um, what this ritual, what this practice means to them, mm-hmm. even if they might not be willing to take it right now, um, even if they may never have received communion before and they don't know if they ever will, but they just want to explore. Um, so that was a big part of it for me. And so we would invite everyone to bring their own elements from home uh, into the Zoom uh, circle space together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we would go through like a, a very non-traditional communion liturgy, um, very poetic that I had written. And Beautiful. when the moment came to bless the elements, we would all bless the elements together. It was not just me blessing them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, anyone who wanted to bless the elements was invited to do so. And, you know, it was a virtual consecration, which is something that uh, was highly debated approximately two years ago from now Um, and yeah people would be free to receive the gift if they felt so led first of all I love that you included consent right away into the process I feel like that is something that we lack in worship spaces is consent like on multiple levels (laughs) I think people need to they need more of that right we need to know that it's okay to not participate if we feel like that's not something we can do at that point, but we still want to be present, you know, and you just, you know, there's multiple reasons why consent needs to be practiced, especially around like the different elements of touch in a worship service and different things like that. So the fact that you recognize the importance of that just to me already sounds like so freeing for so many people, right. To be like, okay, this is a space mm-hmm. of nourishment. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the, the second gathering every month, I did communion once a month. And then the second gathering um, kind of going off of that importance of consent was another spiritual practice that folks could engage with, particularly if they um, were maybe experiencing religious trauma related to Christianity or um, identified as spiritual but not religious at this point, or just needed a space to be queer in community and do something together. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did things like creative writing, art, um, music, just, you know, different modalities that we could engage with um, that were spiritual and that were grounding, but um, probably didn't come with the baggage that communion brings for some people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, even though at, at this point, my work has evolved into a lot more one-on-one work um, with individuals and a lot of consulting work with communities, faith communities and otherwise, Um, you know, consent is still a part of the conversation. Just as recently as this week, I had a prospective client call 
Um, I was actually able to meet them in person, which is awesome to see more like local connections growing for me. Mm -hmm. And on that first phone call, I said, you know, you'll find that I'm really relational and that it's all about consent. It's all about what you need, what you're comfortable with. Um, Every session looks different for each person. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think that has been a seed for me that has really carried through the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. What, What were some of the things that you saw happening in that space as the, as it was evolving during the pandemic? You know, I think the evolution has mostly been like following the flow of energy. If, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, that <laughs> might sound like a little woo woo. We've gone from like the communion table to following the flow of energy, which is just my style mm-hmm. uh, to kind of bring that all together. But you mean you're reading people's body language and what they need. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, seeing what are the gatherings where people are coming, not just, not just the number of people, but how are people showing up? How deeply are they engaging? Where do I feel like there is a need for more? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how is this received? What is the feedback? But also like, what are people being energized by Mm -hmm. and what is energizing me? Because, um, you know, any kind of spiritual leader, space holder, um, caregiver of any kind will tell you like they have to also be nourished a little bit by the work that they offer. It's a give and take, um, a flow of life giving energy, hopefully. And so I found Um, I got so many DMs from people during the pandemic and I was loving those one-on-one connections and conversations, like so much more than the, the kinds of conversations I was having in a zoom room with 10 people. Um, and, and that's my personal style to some extent, Mm -hmm. but I really learned that about myself. And, um, I learned that I was able to support people in, um, processing and healing and growing and just sitting with things mm-hmm. um, more effectively in some of those one-on-one spaces. So I, I started intentionally offering that and people um, responded to that. And so I kind of moved to a space where I was offering one-on-ones and then just like I don't know, as the spirit moves, I suddenly offer a group gathering, which at this point, it's been a few months since I've offered a group gathering. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've really just been leaning into like those one on one clients and um, the consulting opportunities that I've been um, given that have kind of found me. Um, and, and at this point, actually, like there's some conversation locally about starting some small group spaces. I'm in Toledo, Ohio. Um, mm-hmm. and it, it's a place that is very, um, open and affirming, but there are not that many places for queer people of faith to come together as queer people of faith. And so there's some interest yeah. there. Um, so I, you know, I can't tell you where this is going that that was true a year ago too, but it, mm-hmm. it really just is following that flow and the needs and the love and yeah, the, the good stuff that's happening. It's mm-hmm. exciting. Mm-hmm. It sounds exciting. Uh, where do you, what do you think then? Because it's clear you're reaching people and you're meeting their needs and the larger church with a capital C, right, of all different denominations, clearly so many of them are getting smaller. Lots of churches are starting to close. Um, we are not getting as many people going to seminary, you know, different things like that. So what do you think the larger church can learn about 
can learn from you about this ministry and the way it reaches people? I think that the larger church can learn a lot. Um, I think all of us can learn a lot, right? Like I, mm-hmm. I also have to name, like I would not be here practicing ministry if it were not for everything that I learned from the institutional church. I right. am a child of the institutional church formed by it, nurtured by it, um, also deeply hurt by it. So mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. I, I hold all of that together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think the larger church first could learn that it has hurt a lot of people you're right yeah I even though I had been hurt by the institutional church I was not ready I will say I'm still not ready um, to really understand the sheer number of other people who have shared that experience and have been hurt um, in their own ways and also in some like freakishly similar ways to, mm. to my own journey. Mm. Um, and so that, that's something like, I hope I never get used to. And I think it's something that the, the larger church, if they engage with my work and um, just see how it is reaching people, um, I hope that they take the time to say, wow, um, if if that many people are connecting with that content um, about that kind of experience of trauma in the church, that is a lesson for us to learn and sit with, come to terms with. Um, and so I think that's something they can learn. And that's like really heavy. Mm-hmm. The other side of that coin is I think the larger church, the institutional church can learn that there are like many, many, many of us who have been hurt by it um, and have not given up on God, um, on spirituality. Um, Some people have been hurt by the church and have not given up on the church as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that language looks different for all of us. Sometimes it looks different for me, depending on the day. Um, But there is a kind of resilience in the sense of we shouldn't have had to be resilient, but we are. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And we are able to be resilient or find our way on that path because of, I mean, I would say the grace of God, that's my language alone. Um, You know, because of the love of the universe, because of, um, the power of something that is beyond us. Um, and so I think that like that for me is the, the good news, the hopeful news in all of this for the church. Um, and, you know, I, I think about things like death and resurrection and it looks to me like the institutional church is dying. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't say that, you know, with, with glee, there are some people who are like happy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of deep feelings cause I still have a lot of deep care. Yes. But mm-hmm. it looks like the institutional church is dying. Mm-hmm. Um, it has suffered major blows just through the pandemic. And some of that has been the response that's been effective or not um, when it comes to reaching people through that and really feeding people through that. Um, I don't see a lot of people going back into the pews now that it might feel safer to do yeah. so. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what this is going to look like in a hundred years, but I bet smaller. Um, and so I think about what resurrection looks like in the midst of that. And for me, it is those of us who, um, 
you know, maybe we're already, we've jumped ship and we're in a lifeboat and we're finding each other and we're like building a little house on an island trying Mm -hmm. to figure things out. Mm -hmm. Um, But to me, that is a seed of hope that um, the spirit of what I think is like the true church will continue. Yeah. I feel that too. I feel like, I like that you talked about the death and resurrection because it does feel like actually things do need to die and you do see I do see new life coming up in different ways that people are trying to create in ways that you know create more intimate connection I deeply feel like what people are really longing for and that I that you could see throughout the pandemic was that we have felt and maybe this is me speaking too personally of feeling a lack of being able to fully connect and wanting to have a space where we could lay our burdens down, you know, or we could be joyous without having to also pretend. And I feel like so often we've been needing to pretend to fit into a box of some sort and pretending is exhausting. And I think that people are exhausted is what it feels like. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm wondering, because I'm curious, because you talked about, you know, writing uh, your kind of your own liturgy or different things to read during these times. And I do think language is important, which you had said a couple of times too, and how you were, when, um, when you were talking about, you know, what matters. And I know oftentimes some of the language and different things that we use is really, you know, connected to the roots of how the religion started but sometimes those are so antiquated now and sometimes that those words actually hurt people and so what I'm wondering is if we could hear some of what you have written or what you have read in these spaces yeah I would love to share um so this is an excerpt from the beginning of the communion liturgy that we have used at the belonging table. Um, and this section is actually about proclaiming the gospel, um, which I like to call actual good news mm-hmm. um, <laughs> before we receive the elements together. Mm-hmm. And it reads in the life of Jesus, God's heart is revealed to us. From the very beginning and throughout his life, Jesus knows what it feels like to be told, there is no place for you here. But with his life and ministry, Jesus makes a place for us and for all people, preaching good news to the poor, flipping the tables of the rich, releasing the captives, healing the blind, liberating the oppressed. Jesus stepped boldly over the lines drawn by the religious leaders of his day, sharing meals with those they called sinners, embracing those they deemed unclean, organizing a band of fishermen and tax collectors to heal the suffering masses, washing his disciples' feet because servanthood is the only way, healing on the Sabbath because suffering does not take a day off, and gifting all of us belonging in the household and family of God. This gospel, this good news, threatened the foundations of religious and political power, both of Jesus's day and of ours. 
Together, those religious and political powers conspired to end his life and silence his truth. All right. I wish I was writing those down. <laughs> that was just amazing. Here, I was like, there were so many words that you said, like, I wish I had a pen and paper so I could have like read back to you the ones that just like the way you formed the, I mean, just the way you formed some of, I can't even speak. Right. Like, cause it's just, I just loved it. Let me just say that. I just loved it because I mean, the whole sense of belonging, like creating this belonging and the fact that, you know, I feel just so often we, we take, we stop looking at who Jesus is to, to, to create a world that we think should be right. And, and really like the things that Jesus did that you just spoke of was revolutionary and just built out of caring and kindness and wanting people to feel okay. <laughs> you know, people needed to feel okay. The fact of healing on the Sabbath because suffering, what you said there, mm-hmm. suffering doesn't end or doesn't have like a timeline and doesn't stop on a particular day. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know that was beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. It, I mean, I love the whole liturgy. I wish we had all day. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the things that I did was instead of having prayer um, at the beginning, we have a guided meditation um, mm-hmm. where people get to reflect on the faithfulness of God in their life rather than be told what that looks like. Um, mm-hmm. So just, you know, throughout the whole thing, uh, it it's all about connecting with the people who are my audience um basically like the the disenfranchised of society in the church and to some extent that was jesus's audience too right so it's not a hard it's not a hard bridge there to make right what's one of the biggest things that you have learned through founding the belonging table i think the greatest lesson for me uh well, there's two. Can I say two? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll make it. I'll make it short. Uh, no. So, yes, you may say two. <laughs> okay. Um, the first one is uh, just learning to go with the flow. Right. When I founded mm-hmm. this, I was super legalistic about you know I'm going to have these two gatherings and this is what it's going to look like and this is who it's going to reach and you know this is my plan and at this point about two years into this incredible journey. It, this looks nothing like what I had in mind those first few months. Mm. Um, in in some ways, I've had to let go of some things that just didn't work. And in other ways, I've had, had to slash have the opportunity to embrace things that were way bigger than what I was imagining for myself. And mm. so um, it, it's been a gift and a challenge. And I still need to be doing that because I don't know what this is going to look like a year from now, two years from now. Um, and that has been a huge lesson for me, but it just looks different than when you take a job as the pastor of a local church and you know, in two years, I'm going to have, you know, Sunday worship, Sunday school, Wednesday night choir, and ain't nothing going to change. <laughs> um, it, it's very, very different. Uh, so that would be my first lesson. And then the second one, and I've touched on this is just the power of trusting your own internal truth and Mm. the call of God, Mm -hmm. uh, which are often the same thing, right? Uh, Often. And 
trusting those things, whether or not you have the permission of the structures that you exist within or that you existed within. That like deserves to be on a poster where you just said, trusting the permission, bringing in the systems that you find yourself in. Yeah. Um, Because even, you know, I had left the church that I grew up in. um, I did not offer communion and actually preside at communion until over a year after I left that church Hmm. and still when I did it echoing in my head was they would be so mad at me for doing this because I'm not officially ordained by an official church right you know all Mm -hmm. these things Mm -hmm. and I have had to overcome that voice in my head at every step of the way. It mm. might look like I'm out here confident, uh, you know, knowing my self-worth and understanding that I'm gifted and called by God. And I hope that I'm helping other people to be, you know, confident to know their self-worth and to step out in faith. Um, but the fact is all of us have those voices from the cultures that we were formed in, the traditions we were formed in. And so that's been a huge lesson, um, learning to trust my own gut, my own self and God um, over and above uh, all of those cultures, boxes, traditions that um, would rather that I get in line and wait another 20 years till they maybe change their mind about people like me. Yeah, for sure. Gosh, the whole like getting in line, it's like just waiting, you know, it's like waiting to feel that sense of worth, right? Into mm-hmm. waiting to be mm-hmm. deemed okay. And that's just not acceptable, right? It's like Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> you know, there's no shame in it. I waited for 12 years. I fought to change mm-hmm. the system that I was in. Um it's not that I regret that journey. Um, mm-hmm. but I started looking at myself and thinking you know, I do know people who are now 70 and have been waiting their whole career exactly. and their career is gone. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. they're, and it's not that they have not offered ministry in ways that have touched me. But, you know, when some of those people look at you and say, this is never going to change, you need to go, you know, mm-hmm. whether that's go to another church or go into yourself and and make a way with God. Mm-hmm. Um you have to choose yourself now. Um, but it, it's hard to do. It is hard to do. So this kind of leads me into this question of what do you want people to fully know? Mm. I think I want people to fully know that they are free. Mm. And I say that, um, as is often the case, I'm saying a word that I need for myself right now um, and in general, right? Mm -hmm. But I I want people to fully know that that they are free, right? I I talk to so many folks who feel trapped and legitimately so um, in family systems, in church structures, in their pension and <laughs> right um just you know these these things that keep us in places that um are not authentic and are not um making space for our wholeness and i i long for people to see that in so many ways in more ways than we realize we we are free to make change um yeah. meaningful change you know even if it's not 
completely stepping out of those spaces, what does it look like to be a little more free tomorrow than you were today and the day after that? Um, and to choose yourself in those situations. Um, and, and along with the freedom, um, I want people to know their self-worth. Mm-hmm. Um, I want people to know that that those kinds of systems that keep you trapped and feeling less than free um, are are doing so through also telling you that you, you know, there's so many words for this. You're a sinner. You're, you know, you're hopeless. You're like all these terrible messages. Um, you would, you know, nowhere else would have you if you left this space, right? There, there's so many messages um, that just degrade our yeah. sense of self-worth. And, and it's a God-given sense of self-worth. Um, that That is something that can't be taken away and all of these things freedom self-worth um knowing that we can choose ourselves in small ways in every circumstance um, is also connected to the community right um Mm -hmm. it's not it's not just an an individual um kind of thing we have to think about what it looks like for us to choose freedom not just for us but for everyone um to think about how our actions make freedom more possible or not for others Uh, how our claiming of our self-worth or not um is impacting everyone around us and of course uh i'll do a whole other podcast episode on privilege and all these things um, (laughs) because then there's privilege and structures of oppression that are laced through all of this so um you know the kind of freedom that i'm talking about is not the kind of freedom where suddenly money doesn't matter the world doesn't matter no um obviously we're all constrained by structures of oppression um many many of um, us and many folks more than others um, by different structures of oppression. But even within those, what does it look like to choose ourselves, right, um, yeah. today and and in the spiritual sense? So that that's kind of some of the work that I'm interested in and what I hope that people can know deeply. How do you then help those who are just so terrified of the change, of making a change? You know, because... There's the times where we can we can say we're like, okay, you know, we awake with a new sense of of like an outlook, right? A new set of vision of what we of what we want to be and knowing our sense of worth. So then how do we also then step into those moments where we can change? Like where you were able to do that of making a change, what helped you be able to do that? I think for me, um, my my spiritual director, I mentioned her earlier, was a huge um, piece of me feeling ready to actually make that change. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's worth noting that she is a clergy person in the church that I left, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she has a heart big enough to say, you know, I think you don't need this church's permission, Katie. What What's God's dream for your life, right? Mm-hmm. Um and that takes courage and um, a sense of groundedness that I'm really grateful for in her. Yeah. Um, but it also like grew out of a, a trusting, trusted space in my life that, you know, we had an established relationship. We had, you know, a practice that we were moving through together. And so 
as I'm working with clients, that's really like the the biggest part of helping folks, folks I think, face that fear mm. um, and sit with the fear, like welcome the fear, be with the fear as long as they need to, um, is really building a space where there is a relationship of trust between um, me and the client that I'm working with. Um, and I actually, I don't call myself a spiritual director. I call myself a spiritual midwife. Um, it, it's an intentional term. Um, I, I understand well that spiritual direction when, when it's done well is rarely directive, but mm. I have found that word to be a, a turnoff to many of the folks that I am reaching um who are not looking for anyone else to tell them what to do whether or not that's actually what spiritual directors do it's I also do like nonprofit marketing that's my day job so I'm always kind of thinking about like the marketing the language the messaging um and I also you know I see a lot of spiritual coaches out there and you know I I don't resonate with that word, but mm-hmm. this word midwife, it had been with me actually for about five years before I started actually using it in my practice of ministry. And it, it came to me in my own meditation practice as a word, like, you know, this is who you are. Um, mm. You are a midwife, like, and I'm not a literal, like physical midwife. I've not helped anyone give birth to a, a child. Um, but I have helped a lot of people give birth to a spiritual truth, um, a new spiritual identity, mm. a new vocation. Um, and I, I love the concept, uh, of being a spiritual midwife and, and saying to folks, um, you know, maybe you feel like you're preparing to move into a new season. There's something new being born in you. Um, you know, my role, if you choose to work with me, will, will not be to tell you how to move through any of that, but to help give you some tools um, and to hold space and just simply provide support, breathe through this with you, Mm. Uh, you know, hold Mm -hmm. your hand through this if you need. Right. Um, And and so every session that I um, offer to folks one-on-one includes spiritual practices, not just conversation. So that looks different for every client. Um, A lot of times we do guided meditation together Um, oracle card readings things like that and you know those those practices provide you know a tool to access the the mystical the spiritual the grounding that helps people move through that fear Mm -hmm. um i i struggle to talk through my fear i usually have to feel my way through um to breathe my way through to sit my way through um, to just curl up in the couch my way through. (laughs) Um, and so that's what I strive to create for people who are moving through that. Well, it, I think it touches upon the aspect of the body much more, right? Because spiritual, the phrase spiritual direction is kind of like, seems more mindful, right? It seems more mind focused where it's directive, right? Where the midwife language, as you were saying, brings us into our bodies mm-hmm. of because we're we're recognizing maybe where the grief is maybe where we need to breathe maybe where the pain is sitting inside of our bodies maybe where you know we need to release and so it makes a lot of sense actually because that mm-hmm. is incorporating the fullness right of who we are and the the depth of that of being human mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know 
Yeah. And one of the most exciting things for me is that recently I've had more folks coming to me who um, either are or have been pastors in traditional church spaces and who Mm -hmm. are feeling a call to ministry outside of institutional boxes. Right. And that's a broad statement. It looks different for everybody Um, or are just, you know, maybe they're feeling stuck and it's time to reimagine their ministry even within those spaces. Right. But they um, find some resonance with what I'm doing and reach out and, you know, ask me to hold space for them in that Mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. And I think, it's, it's hard to rate the gifts that I've been given in this ministry, but that's certainly up there mm. um, among like the, the top most humbling honors is to be able to be that person, um, that midwife, that co-journer um, for other people who are making a journey that is something like mine and yeah. um, to, to actually be in a place where I'm out ahead a little bit. Um, kind of on the edge of something new and have done that in such a way that I've been able to heal myself in the ways Mm. that I need to, to be centered and grounded, to help other people find their way. Um, And that looks different for everyone. Like, you know, I, I am so proud of one of my clients who just founded like her own independent ministry practice. Mm. Um, And it doesn't look at all like the belonging table. Right. And I'm so glad because (laughs) the world doesn't need a whole bunch of the same thing. Um, Mm -hmm. The world needs each of our authentic gifts. And um, so that's another thing, like if folks are interested in that kind of work who are, you know, pastor types, as I like to call us and Mm -hmm. are seeking to find a new way to practice ministry. That's something I love to connect with folks around. That's great. I like that a lot. So we're, this question just keeps emerging for me is like, what has surprised you the most in some of the work that you have done where it kind of maybe caught you off guard or, or you were just, maybe it was just a wonderful surprise where you're like, Oh, (laughs) I didn't realize that this is what could happen. Um, I think that to some extent, what I just shared about other pastor types coming to me and seeking guidance, um, support, Mm -hmm. uh, all of those things that has really shocked me. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I have these moments sometimes where people reach out to me and I think, wow, they must think that I know what I'm doing out here. Um, and actually we're all just finding our way. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would say that that's true. Even if I were 10 years into pastoral ministry at a local church, I would still be finding my way, right? Uh, We're all just finding our way in life. Um, But sometimes I am still surprised that people think that I have something to offer that they need, right? Which is so simple (laughs) and like kind of humble and also kind of like sad and rooted in the negative self-worth stuff, right? From the tradition that I grew up in. And I get all of that, but it, it's like a lovely surprise when it happens and I'm getting less and less surprised by it. So I guess that that's moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also like I touched on this earlier, but I continue to be surprised by the, the number of people who say me too. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. When I share deep and deeply troubling parts of my story. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, one of the group gatherings I offered 
probably not a year ago, but a while back was like a support space for survivors of spiritual abuse and religious trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, not a therapy space, but just, uh, you know, a story sharing opportunity. And it was a small group, but it was a very intimate group. And yeah, the the resonance between the stories of the people in that space um, was astounding and surprising. Not not a good kind of surprise, but still a surprise and an important one to listen to um, and learn from. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think the, the work is full of surprises for me. I, I feel mm-hmm. like if you're doing this kind of thing right, you're surprised all the time. And mm-hmm. that keeps you awake, definitely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it keeps you awake. <laughs> keeps you on your toes, right? Yeah. <laughs> but that sounds, I mean, parts of that sounds really wonderful, but then, but I mean, it does, I guess, encompass wonderful in a way where, again, you're creating this space where people can say me too, you know, because sometimes they feel like they can't say that and creating that space of nourishment where people can share those moments, you know, that helps get it into the air and breathing and um, being able to change right into other things that could offer growth and transformation and Mm -hmm. things like that, Mm -hmm. which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. So we're almost out of time already, which is amazing to me. So I ask all of my guests, what story are you reframing today? I think the story that I am reframing today, literally today in my life, um, that I have been working to reframe for a very long time, um, is a story in which our decisions when we are hurt by the church are simply to stay or to go. Mm. Um, That's a binary, right? Mm -hmm. And queer theory which I love teaches us that uh, we need to destabilize the binaries we need to break down the binaries Mm -hmm. Um, they're actually inherently unstable yes Um, and so (laughs) I I am finding myself yet again lately reminded in ways that are very hard just how much I do love the church Mm. right Mm -hmm. Um, even as I have chosen to exist and do ministry primarily outside of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm sitting with that. What does it look like to lean into more options um, of relating to the church other than just stay there or leave there Um, other than just love it or hate it. Um, life life is technicolor life is a spectrum (laughs) um there's so much more than those options so that's something that I'm Mm -hmm. actively reframing right now Mm -hmm. I love that I kind of feel like I'm in that space with you I'm fine yeah (laughs) more and more of just being like yeah what does it look like to be a person I too you know had grew up with very where the church became my family in a time where I um, needed a family. And, but then also found it to not fully welcome me, welcome me in the way that I was um, evolving into my fullest self. But still, I recognize the gift it can be. I recognize the harm it can cause. And to recognize that I think it can be better and to help, 
you know, in that process and how does that look? So Mm -hmm. I feel you on that. Well, how can people reach out to you? Because I know people are going to be like, well, I need to talk to Katie after this. I would love to meet you. Um, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook. My Instagram handle is at the belonging table, all lowercase. And on Facebook, it's just the belonging table. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also find my website at thebelongingtable.org that has information about um, consulting, um, that has information about my one-on-one offerings and pretty much everything I do. So I would love to hear from you and meet you and maybe hold space for you in some small or significant way. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Katie. Thank you. 